Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich, alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. As always, your three-legged stool coming to you from the Northland, talking all things home inspections, houses, and anything else that's rattling around in our brain. Welcome to an unscripted and potentially meandering conversation. No, no, we're going to be so laser focused, Bill. (laughs) Tessa has been jonesing to have a conversation about a specific topic, and we are going to do it today. We are going to deconstruct critical items of a home inspection. Is that a fair statement, Tessa? Yeah, this kind of came about as part of the class I was teaching for the building science students at the University of Minnesota this spring with Pat Hellman and trying to kind of show them what we do as home inspectors and kind of touch on how, you know, building science integrates with that. And it made me think about, you know, what a home inspection is, what it is not, and how it overlaps with building science and kind of where the gaps are. And so for that class, I was kind of, you know, showing the students of all the potential defects that we can find when we're doing a home inspection and how we look at all the different systems. You know, we look at roofing, siding, windows, grading and drainage. We look at structural things, plumbing, mechanicals, you know, electrical, all these things and how they fit together. But really, the, you know, kind of this unique skill is to be able to put all those pieces together and try and figure out, you know, what things are working or not potentially working in a house. and To give an example of that would be maybe you've got, you know, a house that is 1970s build and the homeowner wants to make it more energy efficient. And so they start doing these, you know, incremental improvements to it over time, like doing some air sling in the attic, adding some more insulation. Maybe they've replaced the windows. Maybe they've replaced the, you know, old 80% efficient and, you know, induced draft uh, furnace with a high efficiency furnace when that, you know, is a direct vent to the outside and pulls fresh air in from the outside too. And making all these incremental changes will affect how the house works and how it doesn't work. And a house that might've before been a little bit more drafty and had heat, more heat loss and all of that. Now it's more energy efficient, but it's also more airtight and you don't have the air exchanges happening anymore. And so you might need to look for potential problems with moisture and indoor air quality. And so can you identify those things when you're going through a house, looking at all these specific separate systems? Can you kind of take a step back and put the pieces together? This sounds like it's a concern for you for this industry that maybe we're we're not talking holistic enough. But is it your thinking that this firmly puts a home inspector into gray area? And is that part of the concern you have with this conversation? Yeah, it's really what I'm talking about is kind of... you know, I think it's arguably outside of the home inspection standards of practice. Is that a um, bad thing? I, and that's a great question, Bill. I'm glad you asked that because I think there's a lot of things that homeowners expect when they're living in a house. They want the house to be safe. They want it to be healthy to live in. They don't want it to make them sick. They want to make sure that it's comfortable and that it's energy efficient. And and those are all things that that are really kind of outside of the scope of what we're required to identify and report on as a home inspector. But isn't this something that most homeowners would really want to know about? Isn't this useful information? I think it really is. And I think there's this there's this need out there where there's, you know, homeowners are having problems with their houses. They have 
ice dams or they have mold problems or they've got air quality concerns or comfort issues and they don't know where to start. And, you know, our industry is, is so chopped up. Um, we, you know, we've got people that specialize in just mechanical systems. We've got people that specialize in just roofs, people that specialize in just plumbing. And who's looking at the house holistically to see maybe all these different variables that are contributing to these pain points of homeowners and who can help them. And, and I, I think that, you know, home inspectors are positioned in a really unique opportunity to be able to kind of take it to the next level and assess a house holistically and help people that have these, these issues and questions. Does this home inspector you speak of need to come out of a, a training program like you did that is a building science? And now I have a follow-up question for Ruben after you answer that. There definitely is some sort of additional learning that's necessary that tacks on to what you learn as a home inspector. And how you get it could be, I think, lots of different avenues. Um, for me, I, you know, I, I did the building science program at the University of Minnesota. But for me, where I, where I really learned a lot about just the practical application of building science and, and what that looks like when it works or doesn't work in a house was actually you know, when I worked for an insulation company in a building performance company, and I was, you know, doing the diagnostic testing and really seeing hands-on what worked and what didn't work and what failed and what didn't in houses. And so to answer your question, Bill, I, I think there's some additional training that's needed, but what that looks like, I, I think, um, has not been completely mapped out yet. Ruben, how do you feel about this conversation and how would this fly at a convention of home inspectors and Tessa just throws this grenade into a room of people who by and large have followed a, a set of, of, of guidelines for doing their work? Well, it, it all depends on how you present it. If you present it as something where this is something you should be doing and you should have always been doing this, not well at all. Uh, that'll be a uh, lead balloon <laughs> and she'll get booed off the stage. But if, if you more present it as something where, hey, here's more information, here are some tools that you can use to do your job better, people will be extremely hungry for it and they'll want a lot more. I mean, Tessa, I've seen Tessa present on this and you look at the faces in the crowd and for people who already understand building science, there's a lot of head nodding, a lot of agreement, a lot of smiling, people get it. And then for other people where this is more new to them, they've only been inspecting for a few years. It's like th their mind is blown. I mean, their eyes are just <laughs> wide open and they're sucking it all up like a sponge. So, I mean, with the way that Tessa is talking about this, it has been very well received. Is there an appetite to put it into practice? You asking me? Uh, yes. <laughs> an appetite amongst home inspectors? I yeah, think. this is this is the conversation that where I, I bogged down a little, or this is the point where I bogged down a little bit in the conversation, not because I don't think what Tessa is saying is really important. It's knowing the industry likes to hold tight to the standard. That's outside of the standard. This is what I do. If I go outside, that opens me up to potential liability. If I stay over here, I know what I'm getting. I, uh, you know, I know how to protect myself. I can still do a great job over here. But if I go outside of my lane, it might cause problems. Home inspectors are a paranoid bunch. And there's always home <laughs> inspectors who are going to poo-poo anything that's not the status quo, but there's plenty of home inspectors who are very interested in doing something like this. I was just having a conversation yesterday 
with uh, I'll I'll just name drop. He wouldn't mind if he listened. <laughs> it's Joe <laughs> Konopaki out of Chicago. You, you guys both know yeah. him. Yeah. And mm-hmm. w- with his company, I mean, he's big into this stuff. I don't know what percentage mm-hmm. of his work is exactly this type of thing, but I got to guess maybe half of what he's doing is energy diagnostics and mm-hmm. single item inspections. They don't call them single item inspections. I think he called them issue inspections, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's, it, it's troubleshooting pain points that people have and they love doing this stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I know there's other people in the country who are doing this. Are they using the ASHI standards of practice as a guideline for the conversations they're having and the reporting they're doing? Or is that a different door you walk into when you walk down the hallway of services offered by this company? Well, I didn't ask that question, but I'm going to say that I don't need to ask. The answer has to be a resounding no, because that's not what the ASHI standards are written for. You can't use the standard of practice. You could use the ASHI code of ethics, just to mm-hmm. say that you're you're being ethical when you come out to a house and you're not sharing this information with people who don't have any business seeing it. But no, you wouldn't use the mm-hmm. ASHI standard of practice to do this type of healthy home assessment that Tess is talking about. Tessa, if you incorporate this conversation into the home inspection itself, is that what you're thinking? Or are you thinking this is a different product that would serve as a layer on top of a standard home inspection? That's a really good question, Bill. And I, you know, I think there's there's a market for both. I think that there's a lot of houses that we go into and we inspect and we can apply this building science kind of lens to help us do a better inspection and identify potential weak points in a house, failure points in a house, and help you know the home buyer kind of better understand what they're getting into. And it can be used, you know, for education. But then I think there's also a market for people that are already living in a house that have these pain points that we discussed and and need help and need some guidance figuring out what to do next. And I'm I'm not going to say this because I want to upset the real estate community because that's not my point here. I would think in the process of a transaction, dialing in your house is a conversation we don't want to have. During the during the transaction process, we want a home inspection. Let's figure out if this is a a green light means go or a, a red light that means no or whatever traffic light you want to use. But this seems like a really deep conversation that might make it difficult for people to make decisions on purchase. Bill, I totally agree. And I think that having these types of discussions probably freaks out some real estate agents. And I mean, it, I guess if I were selling real estate, it would freak me out to know that my home inspector is doing deep dives on energy efficiency of a home because i mean really that that i don't think that that should be part of what affects your decision to purchase a house i mean we're we're there to focus more on health and safety and durability of the home and installation errors not how energy efficient is it i mean that's something that people are interested in but it it really feels to me like that's something that would come later on after you've already purchased the home. I, I think that this type of assessment fits in way better mm-hmm. after somebody has already purchased a home and they're starting to think about what they can do to improve it. The mm-hmm. unfortunate part is that they're probably not going to take the time to hire somebody like us to go in and do this just because you know, you, when you're buying a house, 
you're going to get the home inspect. Well, hopefully now in today's market, maybe some people aren't getting a home inspection, but you're already having somebody out there and it's just one more click. It's just, yes, let's throw this on there. Let's get it done at the same time. And it's almost like you do it now or you never have it done. There's the law of inertia where people just don't take the time to pick up the phone and schedule this after they've moved in, moved into their home. So that's, that's the challenge. Ruben, you brought up a good point. Like, you know, I don't think it, it's definitely too, too much of a deep dive to go into, you know, energy efficiency for a regular home inspection. But I was thinking a few ways that we do integrate some of this building science knowledge with our home inspections is when we're inspecting like a story and a half house, for example, we have canned comments in our report that mention that a house of this style is more difficult to adequately insulate an air seal and have proper attic ventilation. And therefore you might be more prone to problems with ice dams. And, you know, for example, also a lot of times these houses have maybe one supply register for the entire upstairs and there's no return. And so expect that you might need some supplemental like window AC units in the summertime to keep this upper level comfortable. So we do in my mind, like those are kind of outside of the standard you know, SOP for a home inspector, because we're thinking about comfort, we're thinking about building performance, and we're mentioning those things to the client, because in my opinion, those really impact the quality of life and just day-to-day life in the house when you own a story and a half house. And so we're preparing people for those potential headaches down the road. Oh, completely agree, Tess. And I've, I've received calls from people who said, you know, you did my home inspection and we moved in and it's really cold up here. And I'm just, you know, (laughs) this this isn't something I knew about. And I'll turn back to my report and it's like, I put it right in the report. I said, you got really poor insulation and you've got one heat register and it's probably going to be really cold. And I'm like, I, I kind of said exactly that. And we talked about it. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I guess I forgot. Well, huh, what can I do? <laughs> it's like, wow. let me go over the options. And and yeah. no longer accusatory, like, hey, you didn't tell me about this. They're like, oh, well, you did tell me, but do you have some advice? So it, it yeah. really changes. And in every one of those cases, I'm really glad that I gave them that extra information ahead of time. Yes, that's back. And I think one thing that we can do is we've talked about how we're kind of going above and beyond the ASHI SOP when we're thinking about a standard home inspection. And part of being a good home inspector is being able to integrate all this stuff and communicate it effectively to a client. And so we've got, you know, this, I think this training that we do at Structure Tech, which really kind of, first of all, teaches the inspector to look at these technical problems and then to widen their perspective to understand more of these systematic implications of these problems. And then we really work on integrating all of that with effective communication to the client because you can be really strong technically, but if you don't have the communication skills, then it's all lost. Ruben, you talked about number one, health and safety. Then you threw in durability and you had a third. Installation. How it was put in. Yeah, exactly. Whether you okay. put it together right or not. Okay. And you're saying that that's the home inspector's domain. Yeah. Yeah. I really think of the home inspection as those three areas. Okay. And then Tessa, you're, you're layering on top of that indoor air quality, comfort, performance, and durability. You know, like there's this one overlapping thing and durability is the, is more of the result of good installation and all of that other, you know, working right, being installed right. Is that a fair statement or no? Yeah. And actually 
just to elaborate on that, I think failures, quote unquote failures, which could be anything like mold, rot in a wall, backdrafting, water heater, ice dams, comfort issues, could be a variety of different things. But failures really depend on, in my mind, it could be due to design, the original design of the house. Like if you've got you know, a valley that drains into the back of a, of a wall, you're asking for problems. You've got materials that could also lead to failures. Like certain materials are more prone to durability issues than others, or even like we talk about new stucco versus old stucco. You've got the methods that it's installed. Is it installed properly or not that we're looking at That's as part home of Ruben's, Ruben wants to look at that when he's yep. doing a home inspection. Yeah. So but, it's understanding but, the design, understanding the materials, understanding how it's put together or not put together properly, understanding the impact of the environment on it as well, both external environment and occupant behavior on the house as well. And, and so kind of thinking about all those different things. Okay. Installation, materials. A home inspector is never commenting on materials, are they? Other than this is what's there, but they they almost never comment on the fact that this material probably won't perform well here because long it's just not a durable application for this place. Like, have you ever done that, Ruben, where you called out a particular material and said that's just not the right right material for this this application? I want to say yes, but I I can't come up with any examples, Bill. I mean, the only thing I could think of would be shingles that are on a roof that's too low sloping, where you might have failure due to the use of the wrong material. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I have, like I I've seen, I've seen people put up OSB and paint it and use it as siding. And I've <laughs> said, this isn't going to work. I've seen, I've seen people use four by eight sheets of like this, this tile looking stuff. It's almost like high grade cardboard and they use it as a shower surround. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, it says on the back of every one of those pieces, not for use in a wet location. And (laughs) I've told people like, this is not a suitable material for a shower surround. This is going Mm -hmm. to rot fairly quickly. So plan on redoing it soon. So I, I have made some of those recommendations, but you know, as I think through it, because it's so tough for me to get examples, I guess they're pretty few and far between bill. You're mostly right. Yeah. And I'm just trying to, I'm trying to zero in here on the differences because there's a lot of overlap. The words Ruben used and the word Tess is using. I mean, I know Ruben, you talk about gabolitis and bad design, and, but that's in the conversation of water management, which yeah. could lead to failure, right? Yeah. And, and it's, and it's not, it, it, we don't bring it up in a way to say, look, you need to re- redesign your roof and change your roof lines and get rid of these gables. It's more of this is what you have and you're going to have an increased potential for this because of this. It's more just education. It's not like we're giving somebody an action item. Yeah. Okay. And I think and, and- if you understand, if you understand building science, then it, it also allows you to be able to kind of do a, a risk assessment of the house too. It's like, if that water that's hitting the wall is going into a wall that is a, like a 1900s house that's got, you know, old growth lumber and as, you know, solid wood sheathing and it's got no insulation in the walls, no vapor barrier. So all the heat and airflow that's moving through it can dry it out versus a house that's built in 2005 with a wall cavity full insulation, a poly vapor barrier on the inside and OSB or chipboard on the exterior sheathing. Like, when that wall gets wet, it's not drying out. 
And so you've just got an increased potential for durability issues, mold issues, because those materials are more susceptible to moisture, you know, too. So it really is looking at these materials, understanding how a house is built and what these potential implications could have based on all these different variables (laughs) that we're talking about. All things being equal, the design of a feature of a home shouldn't matter if it's old growth or if it's new material, like engineered material, because it should be constructed in such a way that it doesn't get wet, right? Like we shouldn't lean on the materials themselves to take over where failure is happening, right? Like to, to bridge the gap of human error and, and durability. It just feels weird that if you luck out and you've got an old house that's leaking water, it's just going to take a lot longer for that board to decompose than a newer two by four. Yeah, I think older houses have, you know, some, some of the pros are that they're a lot more durable and resistant, but they're also really uncomfortable and drafty and leaky and cost more to heat and cool because of that. And the trade-off today, newer houses, more energy efficient, more comfortable, but more fragile if there's an issue with improper installation materials or less durable materials or poor design. So yeah, there's, there's pros and cons. But I think in a perfect world, yes, we wouldn't have to worry about design. We wouldn't have to worry about, you know, how materials are installed, but that's just not the case. Okay, Ruben, do you ever feel like you're you're on the home inspector side of this conversation? And I'm not setting up two sides of a table here, but I really am. So Tessa and Ruben are playing ping pong right now. Ruben's on the HI home inspection side of things and Tessa's on the HH healthy home side of things. Yeah, good cop, bad cop. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Do you you feel like you stand over in the world of facts and just reporting what you see? And and Tessa, you're standing more in theory and how it should be? I I think we're almost perfectly aligned with how we report stuff, how we inspect, what we communicate. I mean, I, I have... I I have more of the classical home inspector training and Tessa comes from the other side of it. But once we've merged what we do, I mean, there's so much overlap. So Mm -hmm. no, really, really, I don't think so. I think we're on the same page. Tessa, what do you think? I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. And, and really it's kind of funny what somehow we got a little bit off track. Initially, I was really excited to talk about how we communicate our findings to clients and how to try and break down into different categories of defects in a way that's understandable for clients and and to do that effectively. And really, as you can see, a big part of this is just how do you assess a house in the first place? What kind of defects do you find? What defects do you look for? And what do you tell your client? And so um, we're having this conversation about building science because really I I feel like it does, it, it should be integrated into just your overall kind of assessment of a house. Tessa, I think that's a great place to just jump in and say, time out. I think it's a great place to end this discussion. You set it up, but part two of this conversation should really be going deeper and deconstructing the communication and how the home inspector wants to report it, how the healthy homes person wants to report it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think there's another discussion that we can have about basically how to formulate these home inspection defects in an effective way 
depending on the type of client you have. Tessa, that is a fantastic summary. I think that's a really good stopping point because that's going to be part two of this series where we do a deep dive into what's a big deal and what isn't dependent upon the home and dependent upon our client. Because let's be realistic. We can have the same defect and we can report on it two very different ways depending on what house we're looking at. It's all about putting things into perspective. And that's what part two of this is going to be all about. Well said. Yep. Well said. Okay. You've been listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. Thanks for listening. Tune in for part two. For more information on how we can provide you with the right information about your home before you buy or sell, contact us at StructureTech.com. 